For many of us, basketball is life. It provides athletic and character-building opportunities and bridges societal and cultural gaps locally, nationally, and internationally. That's the mission of the Basketball Embassy, and this is United We Hoop. Welcome, everybody. This is Chris Dial with the Basketball Embassy and the United We Hoop podcast. We've got a very special uh, guest today, Mr. R.C. Buford, uh, president of Spurs Sports and Entertainment, um, maybe more formal, uh, famously known for his role as the general manager of one of the most successful sports franchises. And R.C. probably gets tired of hearing about that, but he's done a pretty incredible job of seeking out and acquiring and capturing talent uh, globally. And uh, so RC just wanted to say thanks again for taking some time. I don't, I've tried to explain to people in the past how busy you are. And uh, for all I know, you're somewhere else right now too, but thanks for being here. Looking forward to it, Chris. All right. So um, we've got a few things just to chat about today and uh, wanted to kind of jump right in with the elephant in the room. You know, we're amidst this, uh, pandemic and everybody's trying to juggle and one of the things I see you know that I've been fortunate enough to be around you and the organization long enough is you start to develop this understanding and this capacity for what the Spurs way is you know it's kind of referred that to that in the industry and uh, you know there's a lot of components to that but in that you know you've been tasked with an entirely different set of <clears throat> variables and not only has the NBA been sort of on the forefront of what to do, you know, in regards with sports and everything else, but the Spurs are usually sort of at the forefront of the NBA. I know that you're leaned on by a lot of different people. So I just wanted to see if you could share maybe a little bit about how, you know, the Spurs have continued to sort of attack challenges and hurdles. You know, there's certain key components there. Um, how has that sort of helped you and, helped your team and staff, you know, sort of navigate some of these crazy, you know, ever-changing variables? Well, that's an interesting um, one. You know, I think first the leadership of Pop and the um, standards that our key, you know, our key person people and personalities have held themselves accountable to over, over the course of time, you know, Tim Duncan, in 19 years of, as a player was never late one time. He wasn't doing that to demand anything else of anyone else, but it raised the standards um, for everyone. His ability uh, to put his arm around people in times that are difficult and raise them up through, through his presence. Um, the diversity of thought and conversation that happens, um, I think, creates an environment that we're not just focused on, um, you know, on, on, the, on the work that goes on in the gym. I think right now um, the issues around social justice are, are a very important part of, of our conversations. Uh, when we went to Orlando and went into the bubble, our first practice before we went out on the court at all, Pop, Pop got the team together and circled up and, uh, a bunch of chairs and had probably an hour long conversation um, 
that was that was uh, an opportunity for people to share and learn about each other's experiences about the uh, the uh, their own understanding their own experiences or their own lack of understanding about systematic racism and i think um opening yourselves up to difficult conversations takes the team to different levels and when you're faced with adversities like we are in our world today you've got more than just a basketball foundation to to, uh, to lean on yeah no, that's great and i want to touch on one of the things that you said that i think is important especially relevant to me personally and sort of the mission of uh the nonprofit is uh that diversity in thought you know um i see a lot i think a lot of people struggle uh maybe there's you know it's that balance of maybe some of its ignorance maybe you know america is a different world and texas is a different place inside america and we you know i think I've read, you know, recently, again, less than 15% of Americans actually have a passport. Um, so, you know, we're in a very fortunate place in, in the globe. And, uh, but I think people have a hard time understanding why, you know, a diversity of thought and a diversity of context when you're having conversations like the one Pop had with the players, uh, why that's important. And um, you guys have always made that sort of an underlying priority without actually saying it, you know, and you've got different walks of life and perspectives in that room. How, you know, between the players, the staff, you know, the administration, how, how does that help? I mean, how does that get us, like you said, over some of these hurdles and obstacles in your mind? Well, I think um, while purposeful to open up our, our organization to the world of basketball, we were also the beneficiaries of the diversity of experiences that were brought by people from Argentina and France and Croatia and Turkey and, and Australia and Brazil and all the different places, Spain, Italy, um, all the different places that players who have been in our program um, have lived and the experiences that they had were conversations that, you know, you had the, the lunch bunch with Manu and, and Tiago and, and Boris and Patty, where there was, they were very seldom talking about last night's game. They were talking about what they, where they grew up and what their experiences were and, and opening themselves up to other people's experiences. And I think that understanding the experiences of others, having empathy for the positions that they've come through, um, listening to Patty talk about um, being an indigenous Australian and the passion that he has for it. I think you're gonna see Patty speak out quite a bit um, throughout the, our time in, in Orlando um, around the issues that he faced growing up and, and indigenous Australians continue to face. Um, so making yourselves aware and trying to, to live in others' shoes, I think helps you understand um, the privilege that, that myself grew up in and not just 
privilege of, of lifestyle, but also of opportunity and, and experience. And um, that's, I think, what's been the most uh, impactful part of the, the stories that I'm learning um, in recent d days is, is uh, the awareness of the pain and the burden that um, systematic racism can cause for people. Um, and basketball is a great, a great uh, platform for us uh, to break down that and yeah. create programming for change. Completely agree. I, I think we've been handed an incredible tool, you know, that it's almost a Swiss army knife of sorts to sort of navigate, you know, obstacles and, and uh, you talked about empathy and Patty is like one of the most empathic people I've ever seen or, you know, been around and even his, you know, recently, you know, just kind of forking over his salary to, to help progress things and move the needle. It, it talks just a lot about him, but, um, you know, we've got, we've got a pretty diverse audience, uh, you know, tuning into to this and, and kind of following uh, the work of, of uh, you know, sports di diplomats across the planet. And uh, I think another thing that you said that uh, is maybe worth reiterating a little bit is when it comes to building a team and it comes to building a culture, I think you talked about, you know, these guys, Boris and Tiago and Manu sitting down you know, with Patty and just talking about life and really understanding like, hey, this is where I'm from. This this is what life is to me. You know, one of the things I know as a coach, it's tough to, to always get five players in sync or in tune on the floor. And then you've got to rattle a couple of subs in and you hope that they step right in. But I've always felt that basketball, maybe more than a different sport, creates really gives you an environment for like a bunker mentality, you know, to where I'm not just fighting you know, for myself, I'm obviously fighting, you know, for the guy or gal to my right or left. But I think understanding and having some empathy um, for that person, I think it really, there's an internal accountability that comes with that. And I've always, you know, seen that in your teams and, uh, you know, and Pop's always seen, in my, you know, uh, opinion, he's always seemed to embrace that. And I think it shows when the guys get out and play, you know, and they guard people and they fly around the court and they get on the floor. I think they're, there's a difference between a team that does that, you know, empathically uh, than a team that doesn't. Would you agree, you know, with that? For sure. <laughs> when, when, uh, when you really get to be a great team, there's a lot of trust that comes from knowing that I'm going to take care of my responsibility and the guy next to me is going to take care of his responsibility. And I'm not doing that because there's a hammer being held over my head. I'm doing that because I want all of us to survive and be successful. And me taking care of my responsibility will help the person next to me take care of their responsibility. Right. No, I, I completely agree. It's something that we try to implement. And then I think as a coach, you know, or as a, as a manager, as an instructor, as a staff member, I think the challenge is then how do we, you know, how do we do that? How do you put that into play, you know, daily? How do you provide environments for your players and for your staff that are conducive to, you know, empathy, that are conducive to understanding? And you guys have just, you know, you've done an incredible 
job. So I want to use that maybe to liaison a little bit. Um, and we've already brushed on it, but I think, you know, a lot of the folks, uh, you know, that'll get eyes on this and ears on this. Um, a lot of them are in positions abroad, especially RC where they're, you know, they're being tasked or challenged with trying to be a program architect, you know, be it a youth program, maybe in the middle of Belarus, you know, trying to grow up a, you know, a U12, U14, U16 youth program. It could be, you know, a manager of a, of a national team, you know, and our, our friends in the Balkans that are, that are going to check in here. Anybody that's trying, that's tasked with that has to deal with this culture, you know, or the absence of, or trying to integrate a more positive, you know, more forward moving culture into what already exists. To me, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but I know that I will, you know, you guys have managed, you and Pop specifically have managed to create a culture that's just incredible to the point where if you can't assimilate to that, you probably don't have a place here, but you've made it in a way to where so many different diverse personalities, characteristics can actually assimilate to it um, and have successfully for a really long time. And you've shown longevity in that. So I know it's a tough and it's a very broad um, question, but if there were a few like key ingredients that maybe you were, you know, you travel a ton and you, let's say you were, you know, in another country and you were asked to observe for a few minutes a day to day, what, what key ingredients would you look for would say that almost have to be there uh, if you're going to build that winning culture, that, that culture of success? Um, what, what would you say maybe a couple of nuggets that, that these folks could focus on? Well, I think values alignment is a great way, a great place to start. And that's not always evident when at, depending on the different levels where you are. But the more you can get people who share similar values with diverse experiences that can broaden the perspective and the conversation, um, that helps. I think um, getting people who want to be part of something bigger than themselves is important to create a culture. Um, and But having said that, there's not just one way to create culture. There are cultures around the NBA and around the world in basketball that are all different, but that can be successful. Um, you know, the Spanish national team, the Serbian national team, the different places, um, those cultures are very sim seldom the same, yet they've all created uh, successful uh, environments and I'm, I'm not leaving out any on purpose but those are obviously two of the bigger ones um, they more than anything they have people who want to be part of the program who want to sacrifice for the for the benefit of the team and I think when you can get people that will sacrifice their own uh, interests for the for the interests of the team you've got a great opportunity to build culture that's awesome. Awesome stuff. I, you know, RC, I've, you know, I've leaned on you for some advices and you know, some of the work that I've been trying to do across the pond. And you mentioned two of those kind of staple programs in the world, you know, Spain and Serbia. I always tell people, like if I meet with the new uh, federation, you know, if I'm sitting down with the Romanian, our friends at the Romanian federation and they're asking me about, you know, direction or, you know, goals, I always try to return to <coughs> that, 
basically that issue, that topic that you're discussing, which is identity, you know, and I'll ask Romania, I'll ask Bulgaria, what's your identity? You know, what is your, what is your team's identity? Spain and Serbia, if you strip those jerseys off, anybody that watches international basketball, you still know that's Spain, you know, and you still know that's Serbia. And now you can start to recognize, hey, that's Latvia playing, you know, that's Finland playing. Um, Australia's come up with its own identity. You know, Patty's had a lot to do with that. Canada even now has really come up with theirs. So the architects of those youth programs and then those senior programs, they bought into this concept. I would say it might be harder in the NBA to see it, but you can see it with the teams that are doing it right. And when Pop gets the guys playing the way they want, you guys could strip your jerseys off and we would know that's the San Antonio Spurs. Um, how important is it that these architects of these programs, you know, recognize what an identity is and, and, you know, do, should coaches, should staff, should administration recollect every once in a while and huddle back up? Hey, what are we trying to do here? What do we want to look like? You know, you know, I've never looked at it as identity, identity. I think um, I would call it ethos. The, the ethos of the program, if you have the opportunity, and it takes time, it doesn't happen overnight, it takes time. It, but if you have the opportunity to create an ethos and, and that builds into culture, um, if you look at the great military special forces programs, the SEALs or the Rangers, they all have an ethos. You can, the people come and go, but the the ethos of the, of the uh, Navy SEALs never changes. And I think your ability to do that. And then also, uh, I think the uh, New Zealand All Blacks do a great job of leaving the jersey in a better place than when you came. Right. And I think if you get people to take responsibility for that ethos and making this better than when, you've, when you were, were invited in, That'll, that'll be a, go a long way in creating the identity that you're talking about. I see when you're trying to get people to do that, leave the jersey better than they found it, how, you know, how important is it that the, the leadership in that situation is doing the same thing? Because you know? when, yeah, when I'm around you guys. Um, and I think it's not just the coaches, it's the players, it's – it's the uh, support staff um, identifying the narrative that is that that de de defines that ethos, and then being able to storytell, being able to tell the young guys, here's what it's like, um, um, and here's the way we do things, and these are the standards that we're going to hold ourselves accountable to. Um, you know, the, within the All Blacks probably are the most um, obvious example of this, but the senior leaders are the ones who clean up the locker room. Um, and that sets an unbelievable example for the young guys, as opposed, you know, you see a lot of foolishness that comes in the NBA where they're making the rookies wear um, Little Mermaid backpacks. I mean, I'm not sure what that teaches anybody. Um, right. But if you yeah. as a leader set standards that you hold yourself accountable to now that now that young uh the new entrant into the program understands okay this is what is important here well i'm gonna uh, 
tell this really quick story. You'll probably kick me in the butt next time you see me, but I, I don't know if you remember the first time that I got to uh, kind of hang out with you pregame. I just got to sort of be a fly on the wall, follow you around for a bit. And I try to explain to people that R.C. Buford is doing a thousand things at once all day long, every day. But R.C., I've told this story to a bunch of uh, players and coaches across the pond and everywhere, but and you, you probably won't even remember, but we were walking through that back hall. I think, you know, game tip off was in about an hour and you still had a million things to do. And you're walking at a New York pace, you know, through this hallway. And uh, there's people hollering at you and you're simultaneously having these different conversations. But it's game day. There's an excitement. You know, everybody's getting ready to go. And as you're walking through this hallway, there's a hundred people shaking and moving and you stop. I almost ran into you. I was trying to keep up with you and you picked up a grape. It had fallen off of this waiter's tray, you know, taking it probably to a suite or something like that. And you like held it between two fingers. You know, you had your soda in one hand, you had your book in the other. You walked, you, you diverted, you walked over to a trash can, you dropped that thing in and then you got back on your route and kept going. And I, you know, it's a, it was a little thing, RC, but for me, uh, that was one of the biggest doses of perspective that I've had as a, you know, as a person, much, you know, much less a professional. And that was, here's this guy that could have whistled and probably had 25 people ready to dive on that grape, you know, cause that's just how the people around that organization are. Uh, but you didn't, you just stopped, you picked it up and you went and I've always you know, thought about that as sort of a marker of what, you know, leadership is. And it's what you're talking about, I think is, you know, you've got to be willing to do it throughout. Everybody's got to be willing to do the smallest tasks, you know, the most minute, seemingly minuscule tasks. And if everybody's willing to do that, then you, you, you have a chance to achieve, you know, some incredible things. So um, again, I know you don't like uh, talking about stuff like that, but I, I thought it was definitely worth mentioning. Um, I want to get jump into a little bit maybe lighter subject. We're talking about our friends in Serbia and Spain, and you've been all over the world. Um, what, you know, in terms of basketball being such an international game now, and you guys have been at the forefront of showing the world why, um, what are some of the things that you enjoy the most about getting out of the States and, you know, getting abroad and taking in a game, you know, and visiting with players and visiting with coaches you know, what's different about that? What, what makes, because I know you enjoy it. What makes it so enjoyable? Like the passion for the game that I love that's shared with people around the world and to get to experience their culture and their lives um, through basketball. I've gotten, I've just been unbelievably fortunate to, to meet Emir or to meet coaches from different parts of the world, to go into gyms, that uh, are tiny and isolated, um, but where great coaching is happening. And I think it really opens up the fact that while we think we got it figured out, you know, oftentimes in America, there are people coaching and, and playing the game really well um, in a lot of different places. I mean, uh, basketball's taken me a hundred you know, all over the world. And, and it, every experience is new and different. And from it, I gained so much. I've gained unbelievable relationships. Uh, the first, uh, the under 20 world championship in 97, 
um, was in Melbourne, Australia. And some of the best relationships I had were ones that I met there and also ones that I scouted, we scouted there. Um, it's the first time I ever met Amir, first time I saw Manu play. Um, and at that time, you know, the under 20 world championships, there were seven NBA teams there. That wouldn't be the case now. I mean, I think every time an under 20 tournament, under 18 um, is being played, you're going to have the entire league there now. So I think it's just an, an appreciation of there is really good basketball being played everywhere. There's also some fantastic people. Um, you learn things uh, no matter where you go. The responsibility that the Serbian coaches take on developing the next generation of Serbian coaches is really impactful to see. And you can now see it growing in other uh, communities and cultures as well. Yeah, no question. And it's hard to explain to somebody that maybe hasn't seen it, you know, up front, but it's, you develop this incredible appreciation. We had a, we did a little clinic, you know, you guys were gracious enough to help, help us out. We had Dave Tellup and Landry Fields and Matt Nielsen get, you know, share and give some, uh, insight on some things during that clinic. One of the guys we had was Nanad Trunic. Nanad was one of the guys in Serbia that was kind of an architect of their youth programs, been an assistant, you know, on the senior team. But I didn't know what pride in development was until I met him and actually got to share, you know, a clinic space with him. And then I saw like, okay, this is, it's not only as important, maybe it's more important to these coaches to leave that imprint on the next coach you know, and that way you create this assembly line of not just culture, but players, you know, and that's why the Serbs are such easy, you know, as a college coach, they're so easy to recruit. So they kind of do everything right. You know, they just, they can shoot it and they can pass it and they see the floor, they understand reads. So it's a, I think it's a great point, um, you know, especially for young coaches and uh, old coaches out there to share and pass it on, you know, to the, to the next group. Um, I wanted, I want to kind of use that our, RC to just sort of talk about, you know, you, you've touched on it already, but the Spurs have made, you know, like I said, you, you especially you mentioned 97, I think, was that the year that you came back or you pop hired you in 97, right? Is that, is I that came back in 94, 94. So 97, you were probably the director of scouting at that point, uh, international scouting for sure. I think you've done everything. So mm -hmm. Yeah, you've been, you've done it. You've worn every hat. Um, so you're out there. You mentioned eight teams. Now for sure, every team in the league is there. All the EuroLeague teams, obviously, um, in all these gyms everywhere. But what, um, you know, I, I didn't do the stats. I, I got to guess that you guys have drafted, you know, more internationals, you know, per capita than probably any other team. And now it's, you know, it's a little bit uh, more of a thing, but, you talked about diversity in the locker room. You talked about culture. When you talk about good basketball being played um, across the pond, what are, what are some things that you look for, you know, when you get to sit in that sweat box, you know, in Southeastern Turkey with Amir Taram or when you're, you know, up in the Baltic States, you know, watching an Estonian team, you know, play a Latvian team. What, what, what are things that stand out to you just like, hey, this is good basketball. This is good coaching. I think the first thing, the biggest difference in the way players develop internationally than 
than the U.S. is this playing with the shot clock at such a young age. It forces everybody on the court um, to, to, to have to be bas- basketball players. Big guys don't just stand on the post. They've got to be out on the floor. They've got to be in dribble handoffs. They've got to be um, able to make plays with the basketball that then just teach them to be good, good basketball players. And I think the more times that you're put in a position to, to be basketball players, you're going, to better, you're going to be better at it. The way the ball moves, the way people move, uh, it's not an isolation game. And then the, the club system, I think, helps people develop differently than the restrictive rules that um, either high school or, or college uh, puts on the time. Um, if people want to be in the gym internationally, they have the opportunity to be there a lot. And I think time in the gym is, is one of the key influences in becoming a good basketball player. Yeah, it's such an interesting point. I don't think people realize what a cap we have on our youth. If you want extra time, you, you have to go find it, you know, outside of your structure because you're, you know, you're certainly not allowed uh, by rules and regulations to do that. Um, in a lot of ways. The other part of it, the, 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 um, the certification program that goes on in the coaching aspects as well establishes be, uh, benchmarks and baselines for skill development from the coaching standpoint, which then helps skill development um, in the players. And we don't have that type of a coaching development program domestically that would help raise the level of developmental programming um, in our youth, in our youth basketball. Right. Yeah. I can, people probably don't understand, you know, a lot of people don't understand that either. You know, I was given a a team at 20 years old here in San Antonio to go lead a team. There's no way in heck I should have been leading anybody at 20. Um, You know, and if I had come up in the European system or in the international system with FIBA, then I would have had to go through their FECC courses. I would have had to write. I would have had to get in front of people. I would have been challenged. You know, I would have really been put through the ringer. And I always tell people looking for coaches internationally, if they've got that certificate, they've earned it. You know, they've done, they've done a lot. They don't pride themselves on pass rates or anything like it's not just a certificate they hand out. If you've got it, you, you did something to get it. And I think the U S could probably, you know, learn a lot from, from a, a systemic approach, you know, like that to coaching. Um, um, RC, I did a couple more things. I, and again, I just thank you for doing this and spending some time with us today. Um, you've, you know, you've been sort of integral, not just in the, the growth and the development of the organization, but Spurs have always been so involved in community. And it, you know, for us around here, this is a, this is a no brainer, you know, we're not going to share anything new with somebody from San Antonio listening to this, but abroad, you know, why, why is it such an important goal for the organization to be a part of the lifeblood, you know, of the community that you guys play in? I mean, why, what, you know, you've made it such a deliberate focus for your players to be out in the community, for your staff to be out in the community. You guys are always willing to help Spurs give does a ton of things with, uh, infrastructure in the city with development, um, working with at-risk and underprivileged populations. Um, what does that have to do with, uh, 
you know, winning a championship? I think it's more about what it has to do with being good people and, and, and developing a, a well-rounded individual and being an active participant in our communities. We have great support from our community. With that, there's a lot, there comes responsibility. But along with that, it's just uh, Pop's leadership is always um, focused on not, we're, we're playing basketball. We're not doing rocket science here. We're not doing um, anything that probably is as relevant as the real important uh, uh, issues in our, in our communities. And the more we can engage in areas of impact, that can really change lives. That's that's where our um, the the gifts that we've been given uh, to be basketball players, to play the game we love, to enjoy uh, what we do with a passion that many people don't get to in their daily lives, and to be able to share that and help raise up the the opportunities for others is is really why we should be here. I completely agree. I think, uh, like I said, if you've got this incredible tool and you're not using it, you're, you're definitely wasting it. Um, and basketball, that's kind of a theme to this United We Hoop, you know, kind of uh, mantra is that we can, we can break down, you know, whatever hurdles you have, you know, whatever uh, variables that might separate us, you know, in the eyes of the world, we can use the game and everything that it teaches us if we do it right to sort of overcome and succeed in that. Um, I wanted to ask you, we talked a little bit about um, the game itself, you know, and you talked about enjoying the international portion of it. We've talked a little bit about uh, play uh, referencing the Serbs and, and the Spanish team. Um, the game's definitely changed since, you know, your days at Kansas until now, it's a different game. We used to, we used to, you know, we used to have this crazy concept that you give it to the biggest, tallest, strongest guy as close to the rim as possible, and that guy was going to, you know, win you the game. And now we've, you know, we've repredicated, you know, towards uh, three-point line, and it's changed, you know, transition. It's changed uh, our our uh, schematics defensively. You know, Pop coaches defense uh, a little bit different than he did, you know, uh, 25 years ago just to – constantly adapt to this game where where can the game go from here in your opinion I mean do you if we're watching this thing 20 years from now does it look like it does now do we cycle back it, you know what what do you see potentially is is being next uh, for our for our international game of basketball you know international coaches will figure out the next way that they want to play the game I think is influenced by the way it's officiated and it's clearly officiated differently internationally and even in different parts of the world. So that'll have an impact on the way teams are playing. I think the NBA game has become too homogenous and I think there will be coaches who figure out a way to diversify the, the schemes and the, and the systems um, to take advantage as defenses adjust to, you know, the style of play right now. Um, I, you don't know where rules changes will go. My guess is that they will be 
continue rules have evolved uh, at least within our game over the last you know 50 years from 1960 to 2000 or 2005 35 of the 50 MVPs were big guys there's been one since you know so I think um, rules will change coaches will figure things out I hope we don't become so homogenous and I think from an NBA standpoint right now we're probably a little bit too too homogenous yeah I'm I definitely would agree. I I remember going over to uh, watch some games in Istanbul, like in 2008, and I remember thinking, like, why aren't they giving it to the postman? You know, they got this monster in there. He's two and a half meters tall. And the first time they finally do give it to him, he just gets killed. I mean, like, it's it's flagrant after flagrant, no call. And they go down the other way, and then they're getting a hand check, you know, 30 feet from the bucket or something. And I said, okay, well, you're, you know, to your point, I wouldn't give it to him either. If he's just going to get tackled in there, we'll take our chances out on the perimeter. And I think you're right. Uh, and I think federations have to look at that as well. I think that's one of the things that governing bodies could do a little bit better is, is educate and to have open conversations with officiating chapters about, Hey, this is, you know, here's what our collective goal is. Let's, let's call it this way. Um, do you, I was going to ask you, you guys, uh, you know, I've had the privilege of sitting with you during games and uh, I'll tell you what, watching the game with you and your front office is not like watching a game. It's, it's a, uh, it's an education. How important is it that, you know, su successful teams, you know, maybe this gets us out of the youth a little bit and maybe more towards um, the upper ends of, you know, talent and the totem pole. Uh, but how important is it that teams really dissect the way that they're doing things? You know, one thing I've always appreciated about Pop is he, he's still out there. Pop, you know, Pop's still out there on the court showing people where their hands are supposed to be. And he's, you know, he's moving hips around and he's t talking about first steps out of a trap. You know, he's talking about angles. I think a lot of times we glaze over that and we, we just want a player to move from a spot to a different spot. But we're not explaining how important is it that we're still teaching this thing? You know, I think... Um the first practice of every year, the first drill Pop does is a jump stop and pivot drill. And, you know, I'm sure Tim Duncan, 19 years into it, it's like rolling his eyes going, uh, here I got to start with the free throw line, half court, three quarter court, jump stop, pivot, pivot back, run to the next spot. Um, and I think the message that Pop's sending in that is not necessarily – teaching anybody how to pivot, but that we're not going to skip steps. We're going to start with the fundamentals. We're going to continue to build our team from the offense and the defensive ends um, based on fundamentals. And we're not going to skip steps and we're never too big to go back and really focus on the little things. Um, and it's a, it's just a part of the way pop coaches. It's a, it's the part of the way, um, our our development team, Chip England and, and Will Hardy and Mitch Johnson and Timmy now, to have Timmy back in the gym helping with developmental for, for uh, young guys is just what a thrill um, for them. They walk into the gym, they get to get um, taught by one of the, gr the greatest players at his position of all time. Um, that's, that's a real honor and an opportunity. 
think Tim still gets up as many shots as your big, your current bigs on the roster these days. You know, that guy's still in there <laughs> getting his work in. Um, RC, just a little bit about Pop before we let you get out of here. Um, there's not ever going to be a, another Greg Popovich. Um, for young coaches, for, for people new to the game, um, what do you, I mean, I've tried, I try to cherish every single second. I get a sound bite from pop. I get to watch him work. I get to be around whether he's yelling at somebody or, or, you know, explaining somebody or he's got his arm around somebody or he's, you know, uh, doing whatever he does. I, you know, in your opinion, I mean, we're not going to see another guy like this. Are we should, we should really be sort of cherishing, uh, the time that we have with them, huh? For sure. Um, you know, I think, his uh, one of his biggest mantras is get over yourself. And I think um, as, as advanced as he's gotten in his career, the accolades, the championships, he's never been full of himself. And I think um, that's kind of the foundational part that he starts out. He, he still considers himself a division three coach from Pomona Pitzer. Um, and just by good fortune, had the ability to, to, to move into a different, uh, different opportunity. Uh, his best friend, his guy who was assistant coach at Pomona, who Pop handed the, the program to in 1988, is still the coach at Pomona. And so um, that's always a great balance for him. The other part of it is, is he spends more time developing the personal relationships with people and the caring relationships with people than he does coaching them so that they understand he, he, they allow him to coach them hard because they know how much he cares for them. And it's not, he's not coaching them hard for his ego or for anything other than this is what's best for the team. And what's best for the team is at the end of the day, best for all of us. And that uh, the consistency of that message it never goes goes away. It's been it's been a fun you know for me like I said to be so close to in proximity. Literally growing up here in San Antonio, go to the Spurs camps as a kid. Pop was an assistant. He'd come in there and play fight me and call out Sean Elliott in his rookie year. And he I mean he he was just such a he was everywhere. You know he knew everybody. He worked his tail off. Um, and then to you know to just you know, have a front row seat kind of to, to the, what this organization has done. And it's fun now because, you know, getting to see guys like Keldon and, and Lonnie and DeJounte, <clears throat> I think players understand now too, what a gift it is to, to fall into this program. You know, if you're drafted by, by you guys, having guys like Chip and having guys like Will and, and Mitch and these guys that are going to develop you, Parker Hines, all these guys down the line, you know you've got a chance at longevity in the league because of the way that it's done, you know, and I, I don't think everyone in the league has figured that out yet, or maybe they have, but they haven't, they don't have the personnel. In. Chris, we've frozen. Can you hear me? Intact, but you know, having that, so yeah, there you are. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, I'll back up a little bit just in case John needs to 
edit that, but um, just talking about being around those young guys, I think the appreciation that they have now knowing that they've fallen in a really fortunate situation where they will be developed, you know, at this age, I think a lot of coaches, even you hear it across the pond, they'll say, Oh, that kid's 20. I'm not going to mess with the shot. You know, I don't think that's the mindset of this organization. You know, this organization has a mindset that you can always be a little bit better. And I think it goes back to pop, you know, and the way he approaches. Uh, I think it's the consistency of the whole group though, and their ownership and our investing group really allowed that to happen. And there aren't many places that have had the longevity we have and shame on us if we don't take advantage of that. Um, you know, Darius Sangalia is, is a guy now who's having a big influence on the development of, of uh, some of our guy, young guys, Luca and, and Jakob, to have a player who played in the NBA, who played at the highest level of the EuroLeague, to play, you know, in, in for uh, international national teams in the Olympics and World Championships like Darius has, has um, that's just a world of experience that he can pass around um, along with Timmy, along with Chip. It's, um, we've been blessed to have really quality teachers be a part of our program. Brett Brown, national team coach for Australia, you know. Um, those guys have – we've been the beneficiary of some amazing people um, who've helped the program grow together. You mentioned those, RC, and I'd, I'd, I'd kick myself if we didn't mention uh, the impact and influence that Becky's had, you know, on the program and, you know, with the players. And she's coming in, you know, as an American, obviously, but played, you know, uh, as a local, you know, in Russia. She comes in with a really diverse mindset, you know, a really diverse set of experiences. And I've, I've really enjoyed watching her take players like Patty through pick and roll reads and, talk about footwork and little nuances and niches of the game that only a player, you know, could, could teach in that way. Uh, but you guys have just, you've assembled such an incredible group and it's ever changing because they're constantly being picked off, you know, by everybody else in the league. Um, so I know that's a challenge. It's gotta be a challenge to kind of re up, you know, all the time you, you lose somebody like Ime and then you've got to get somebody back in, you know, that can fill that role. It's, I, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I think it's it's been we've been the beneficiary of great people through the program and and you know it was it was funny when Becky joined our coaching staff Pop and I had no idea that it was going to be a big deal um, she played here in town she had played for our WNBA team she was injured and the year she was injured she could go to Russia uh, during their season so she rehabbed um, the doctor's offices were next door she started watching practice our players, Tony and, and uh, you know, would be over asking Becky about things and they'd be out on the court talking together. And then Pop brought her into the coaches' meetings and Pop brought her into the team meetings and, you know, just as he would other people who might visit. When uh, Coach Messina visited um, uh, from, from Europe or when David Blatt was, was with Tel Aviv and, and would visit, Pop oftentimes brought people into their coaching meetings just to have those conversations and, and uh, Coach Obradovich and, and people from all over the world. And it helped our, our group grow. And so Becky was just kind of there as part of the group. And it, when she decided she was done playing, it made perfect sense. Let's bring her in as a coach. 
we didn't think anything about it. We didn't have a press conference. We sent out a press release. And the next day you've got you know, Good Morning America and a lot of, a lot of national publications making, um, you know, making us aware of what a big deal this was. And, you know, fortunately, Becky's a person that can handle the responsibility of, of being a first um, and will continue to grow. So I see kind of on that last thing, and I, I, again, I, I, I so appreciate this and this conversation. It's always good to, to talk to you and, um, you know, talking about Becky, uh, it, was, it wasn't just the national, it was international, you know, in terms of what it meant. And I, I still run into these old heads, you know, sometimes or these, you know, super conservative traditional guys, you know, that are running around in different pockets of the planet and they'll, they'll make a comment to me because a lot of times I'll get this undue uh, sort of like, oh, Chris is from San Antonio. He's basketball. He must be uh, involved, you know, with the Spurs. And, you know, I always have to preface conversation like, guys, I don't, I don't work with Pop. He's, he's not my best friend. I don't, you know, but they just, they take San Antonio now with a, anybody that's even close to a legitimate basketball source and it, you're, you're automatically going to get tied you know, to the Spurs, which is really cool, but they'll make a comment about Becky, like, oh, well, coach, is that, does she really do anything? You know, is she, is she doing anything in that, you know, in that organization? And it's just, it's such a hard, uh, I always have a hard time. I have to almost hit my reset button before I answer because I'm in, you know, some of those practices and watching and she is, I mean, she just straight up gets after these guys. And these, like you said, there's such a respect, uh, not only by her, her colleagues, but the players, you know, that, that, appreciate uh what she does but on an international scale you've got a bunch of young women running around in conservative countries that the sport now is helping empower you know these gals to get out and achieve you know and not just do that on the court but do it off the court it's really leveling you know moves like that unintentionally but really leveling the playing field for young women all over you guys have hosted and helped the basketball embassy host groups. We brought a group in from Kosovo, I think a couple of years ago, into practice. Pops in, you guys are in the middle of the season. I mean, it's busy. And it's media day. And he's got all these people waiting on him. And he, you got the poor guy that, you know, is telling Pop, Pop, you know, you got to get over it. Because as soon as the practice is over, Pop runs over to this group of kids that are Albanian and Serbians, which aren't supposed to be in the same place at the same time, but because of basketball, they're there. They're in San Antonio. You've got some young women in there. Pop comes over and spends 15 minutes, shakes every single one of their hands, asks them how they're doing, how they like San Antonio, what they, you know, takes questions, all this stuff. And as soon as he peels off of there after pissing off everybody in the media for making them wait so long, Becky runs over there. And, you know, Becky does the same thing. Um, why are exchanges like that so important? Like, why, you know, why take the time to, you know, initiate a relationship with some kids that, you know, you probably never see again? Uh, why would, you know, why is that such an important thing? I just, I'm trying to make sure that the audience understands that that happens at this level and that it matters, you know? Well, the, the relationships that we have with people around the world are, have been a big part of how our program has grown. And we, when we visit gyms 
around the world, we receive that that reception and we owe it to that community to, to share our home with them. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've been in gyms that you never feel more welcome in anyone's home than we've been. And so the way we've been received around the world, the ability that people have allowed us into their hearts and into their game, into their practices, um, we know the responsibility of being ambassadors for our game for, and it's not about the game. It's about the relationships that we play. It's the ability for Serbs and Albanians to be in the gyms at the same time together, playing a game that hopefully will build bridges um, and create relationships so that people understand part of being a team is accepting others for who they are, where they are. And the ability for our game to share that is maybe as, as um, at the highest level. There's, a, there's not 25 to 30 people on a pitch. There's not, um, you're not behind masks. You're not standing far apart from each other. You're next to each other. You're in and out of timeouts. There are just so many interactions that um, allow us to learn together. And I think that's a real responsibility that our, that our program takes, takes seriously. I see, I wanna thank you again for the time. Uh, thanks for sharing. I know it's, these are crazy times. Um, we really appreciate it. I'll never really be able to express to you how uh, fortunate I've been just to be around you. You, you do a lot for a lot of people. Um, the organization does a lot for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, we're just uh, so happy to have you on and, and visiting with us today and just wanted to wish you guys luck in the bubble and, you know, with whatever's next. And, uh, you know, obviously, if there's ever anything that the basketball embassy or our family or extended network across the pond can do uh, for you guys, please don't hesitate. Well, thanks, Chris. I enjoyed it. I'd like to say, you know, just a, just a warm hello and and thank you for all the people around the world who've made basketball really special for me. Um, I miss the ability to travel right now, and I can't wait to be in a gym someplace uh, and see the friends that we have around the world. I hope we get there soon. RC, take care. Give the best to the family, and, uh, and uh, you know, good luck moving forward. We appreciate everything. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening to United We Hope. You can find links to our guests and the Basketball Embassy in our show notes. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Basketball Embassy, and we're on Twitter at B-Ball Embassy. Our host is Coach Chris Dial. Our executive producer is Mary Ullman Jaffet. The podcast is recorded at Game Day Media Studios in San Antonio, Texas, USA. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.